You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Strange Familiars. I'm your host, Timothy Renner, and I'm here with my wife, Allison, as we wait out the sequester like everyone else. As promised, we're trying to drop some extra content for everybody during the sequester. On tonight's show, I'm going to be talking with Jeff, who has various stories of spirit contact, including ghosts and skeletal-faced entities, angelic visitations, and more. Would you say this is an adults-only episode? I think so. Uh, it's one of the few Strange Familiars episodes I would recommend maybe listening first before you listen with your kids. There's some... Troubling content. Yeah. We'll go ahead and give a trigger warning here at the start. I think there's some uh, troubling content that Jeff discusses in some of his experiences. It doesn't happen often, but... I wanted to give fair warning on that. I mean, normally I'd say not safe for work, but, you know, no one's really at a place where there are other people. Exactly. (laughs) So it's still your decision. (laughs) (laughs) Who's working? All right, without further ado, let's hear Jeff's stories. Tonight we're talking with Jeff, who has some stories about spirit contact he's going to share with us. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? Oh, I'm really good, Tim. How about you? I'm doing well. Thanks for sharing your stories on Strange Familiars. I've been looking forward to it. I'm a big fan of not only your your show, but your style. You have uh, such a genuine, clear, and uh, empathetic quality. I've been looking forward to being interviewed by you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, you've shared with me a few of these stories via email. So where do you want to start? Are we going to go chronologically, or, or how did you want to start with these? Yeah, you know, I think chronological makes the most sense, just because it it follows my life story. And it, it begins with a story in 1968. I'm 70. 
so this was when I was 18, maybe 19 years old. And I had been studying over that winter a series of lessons called the Shropa lessons that were about telepathy and astral projection. And I, I didn't think I'd gotten anywhere with them. But I had practiced focusing my consciousness on my third eye and being sensitive to what I was thinking and uh, what thoughts might not be my own. And it was a, a warm spring evening and I had gotten a call from a friend. I was good friends with a woman who was my mother's age, who was a widow, and her niece said, Jeannie is feeling blue tonight and we're gonna go out for dessert. Would you like to come with us? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Okay, we'll pick you up in a half hour. Well, I sat down at my desk, I was a student, and I began to feel just not quite like myself, like I was watching uh, my consciousness. And Jeannie came, or Jeannie's niece came to the door and I answered the door and I said, I can't go. And I heard myself say it and I thought, what do you mean you can't go? You're looking forward to this. She said, well, Jeannie's going to be crushed. I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't go. And I closed the door, went back in, sat down, and I began now to feel that I was really watching a different consciousness move into my skull. And I began to feel this disconnected sense. And I then I began to feel my body change. And I went to lift my hand, and it was just like lead, the hardest thing to do. And then I tried to talk, and my, my voice was just a, a deep growl, just a guttural. And I, I felt absolutely exhausted, and I went and fell across my bed, fully clothed, into a dead sleep. I woke up in the morning in time to throw some water on my face and get off to school. Came back that afternoon, cleaning up my apartment. I had a little place. And on one of the chairs was something I'd never seen before. It was a red rose made out of ribbon. Uh, and there was a green stem with a hat pin stuck in it, handmade. And I thought, well, I disappointed Jeannie. I'll, I'll give this to her. So I put in my backpack and rode my bike to her home. And I walked in. And I took it out, and I heard myself say, I believe this belongs to you. Well, I thought, where did that come from? I hadn't meant to say that. She looked at it with all seriousness, and she said, where did you get this? And I told her the story about the night before and all that had occurred, and uh, finding the rose in my apartment. And she said, this does belong to me. My husband died 10 years ago last night, and the way you described, the way you spoke and moved was the way he was in his last days. And she said, he gave this to me early in our marriage, and in the course of our married life, 
uh, it would disappear. And when I needed it most, it would reappear on my dressing table. And she said, it disappeared the night he died. And now you, here you are returning it to me. Well, if uh, that to me represents several things that I've, I've never experienced anything like, particularly the appearance of objects, especially something that meaningful. Yeah. And, and, and certainly experiencing a consciousness represent itself to me in a way that would represent itself to the woman who needed it most. So that's the first story. I mean, it's very, very touching. I mean, what a beautiful, touching thing. Did you stay in touch with her then? Oh, yes. Yeah. Through the end of her life. Do you know if this object appeared or, or you know, disappeared or reappeared again? You know, I lost track. We were not in touch for several decades. And then I was in touch with her again in the last 10 years of her life. And I, I never asked her. So I don't know. It's a very, very touching story. It's very beautiful in its kind of symmetry. Do you feel that whatever practices you were doing with, you know, meditation and astral projection and so forth opened you up to sort of be the conduit to this? Yes, I think it it's a combination of things. I think I was, oh, I don't, the expression that comes to mind is bent that way, but that's not what I mean. I mean, I think this has been my nature, but I think that what I was doing just then did open open me to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From my teenage years on, I, I called myself a sensitive because I would be aware of the, the of disembodied entities, and I would feel a, I still do feel a. Uh, a simple term, the chills. Feel mm-hmm. my, my back open up with what Tibetans call kundalini energy of uh, the, the chakras opening. I would always feel that sensation when I was in the presence of a disembodied entity. And I was always very pleased with myself when that occurred. I lived in a house in my 20s when, about 1978, about 10 years later, and every night when I get up to go to the bathroom, middle of the night, I would sense this entity in the hallway. And I, I was just sure that there was something there, and I would address it, and who are you, what do you want, and really open my consciousness to it in a very direct way. Well, I had a wise friend who said to me, uh, don't do that. Entities that hang around the earth plane are not here for good purposes, they don't belong here. And the best thing to do is to look at them and say, you don't belong here, it's time you go, then close down, so as not to encourage them. So I got in that habit, absolutely no longer was um, pleased. But if I felt it, I would not seek out anything further, but just say, you don't belong here, and it's, it's time you go Okay, uh, it's now 1985, and my grandmother had died the year before. Maybe maybe it was 84. She hadn't died long before. 
I awoke in what the, the Tibetans call the gray fog of spirit, a, uh, a place of without form that is gray and a place without definition. And I heard my grandmother's voice as clearly as if uh, she had been speaking to me when she was alive. And she said to me, you're as good as family gets. And I thought, wow, that, what a beautiful thing to say. And with that, I woke up back in my, coming back into my body, attached by my astral body, my head, scissored sort of with my astral body out of my body. I could feel it kind of hovering, connected at the head, and then slammed back into my body. And I was aware, awake, and, and fully in my body. So that's the first time I had had an experience of astral projection where I was conscious that I was out of my body and I could feel my astral body and my physical body. A few years later, we moved into a house, or I guess we had just moved into that house, where a woman had died and it had been the, the wife of a man who my mother married after my dad's death. So I knew the, the family story and he was a, difficult, mean guy, and uh, she uh, apparently had been unhappy and had died in that house. My daughter was four years old, and I, I was always the parent that would wake up on a dime and be able to hear my children, regardless of what was upsetting them, if it was something as simple as they were stirring and needed to take into the bathroom. But I heard her fussing, and I went into her room, and she was tossing back and forth, saying, Leave me alone. Leave me alone. The room was very cold. I could tell there was a, a, an entity in the room. And boy, I went to battle, saying the Lord's Prayer, um, trying to protect her with my prayer and trying to die, drive this uh, entity out, which I did. But that continued night, not every night, but very frequently. We had a very spiritual friend who moved in with us for a time during a period of his homelessness. And he came in, he heard uh, me in uh, the bedroom next to his, and uh, he went and got his Bible, let it fall open in his hand, and he dropped his finger on it. And the verse he was on, I think it was in Psalm 93, was, uh, and thou shalt protect us from pestilence by night either Psalm 91 or 93. And if that wasn't boy, the most appropriate Bible verse you could ever imagine, but I still had to battle this entity. One night I went in, and this is wintertime in Cleveland, very cold, and the, the covers were pulled directly off the foot of her bed in a perfect rectangle as if they had been pulled off by hand. No way in the world could she have kicked them off in that way. And she was in her pajamas on, on the sheet, just tossing and turning, leave me alone, get out of here, leave me alone. And I battled that entity night after night until it stopped. And it suddenly stopped. And it stopped at just the time when the eldest daughter of the woman who had died in that house had seizures, went into a coma, 
was hospitalized and died of herpes encephalitis. Herpes uh, in, of, in that apparently we all have the herpes virus in us at all times, and it had uh, erupted in her brain, and it was extremely, extremely sudden death. Mm. Uh, I mean, she probably wasn't sick for more than 10 days. And uh, I think that what happened was that the soul of that woman was trying to pull my daughter over to the other side. And when she couldn't accomplish that, she pulled her own daughter. Mm. That's frightening. About how long do you think that went on? This, you know, months. sort of nightly battle or, or almost nightly? Yeah, a couple of months. Wow. It went on, yeah, because she died in the spring. Warming. It was warming. And she, it was occurring. I remember it was in February, at least part of it. So it, uh, yeah, it went on for two months anyway. And never occurred again after she passed? No. So there, there is one that it talks about the power of disembodied entities. I think when people ghost hunt and play with that world, they're really doing something dangerous because there are entities, as these stories will present, that would like to get back in a body, and you don't want to open yourself to them. That yeah, I, I, there's a certain amount of hubris, I think, with, uh, certain people who practice spirit contact, we'll call it for lack of a better word, who think that they can control things. And, yes. uh, you know, you may for a little while or whatever these things are may let you think you can for a little while. But often they're playing by a different set of rules and you don't always know what the rules are or the, you know, the capabilities or the motivations of whatever you're talking to. Yes. Yes. Very well said. Yeah. Very well put. This, and that gets into this, this next series of stories that are of a piece. So this, this one has a beginning, middle and end. Uh, in 2007, I moved into a, an old house in, uh, in Cleveland Heights, which is, uh, was settled in the, or houses were built there in the early 20th century. And this is a grand old place, built in 1920. And I'd been in the house about, oh, maybe a couple weeks. And I woke up out of a dead sleep with the horrific feeling of, for lack of a better feeling, anal rape. Mm. an energetic force uh, in my anus that was terrifying. And uh, I just jumped out of bed screaming and uh, sort of forced, prayed, energetically managed to get it to stop. And that happened repeatedly, probably ten times. And I had the intuitive sense that someone had died in that house in some sort of homosexual action that led to, that got out of hand and, and led to death. And I put that together out of just my, in, my intuition and sitting in the house and, and allowing 
my intuition to sort of develop over it. And I had some friends, uh, older, older people in their 80s, both very wise. The one used a pendulum, and uh, she conferred with me and, and concurred that, yes, what I suggested was true, that that's what had happened, that there had been a death in the house, that the police were not notified, that the family knew about it, and that uh, nothing was done about it. Mm. I had a dream. There's a uh, Lakeview Cemetery in I don't know, a, mile, a mile from where I lived. John D. Rockefeller is buried there, and President James A. Garfield, and uh, a lot of famous people in the automotive early days of the automotive industry, and a lot of famous people. But it's a great, wonderful cemetery. And in the dream, there was a statue on the south end of it pointing north saying to me, you're looking for Ed Demore. Well, I called the cemetery, I knew people there. And he was, there was no one of the 90,000 people buried there named Ed Demore. So I checked all the surrounding cemeteries and I couldn't find anyone. And I was talking to the couple about my findings and what I was learning. And the gentleman and the couple said, well, you know, sometimes in dreams, things are reversed, uh, north, south, east, west, up, down. So I thought, well, I don't think there's a cemetery on the other side of town there. It would be to the north of Lakeview Cemetery, but I'll call. And I called the Lakeview Cemetery office, and I asked, and they said, you know, by, funny you asked, there is a, a small cemetery called East Cleveland Cemetery that is just to our north, and uh, no one's been buried there since the mid-50s. But uh, we recently took over its care and uh, all the records. So we've cleaned it up and now manage it. And I said, well, well do me a favor and, and see if there's someone there named Ed Demore. Well, the answer was yes. Wow. There was uh, an Edward Demore buried there who had died in 1943. A single man. Only survivors were his parents. And I, I learned that by looking up the uh, in the Cleveland death records that the death notice that had gone into the paper and so forth. So with that, that stopped. The anal rape stopped. And I have since then heard on, I don't know whose podcast it was, but something, some podcast talking about just such experience that uh, people experience when there are disembodied entities that are they can create that. Mm -hmm. So I, I never heard of it before, never, certainly never experienced it, but go ahead, I, I'm interrupting. Oh, uh, I just wondered, so do you think it stopped because you sort of kind of found and, and acknowledged him? Is that? Yes. Yeah. And by this, maybe he, he was able to have some, some form of closure or something? I'm just, I'm just trying to put it together. I, that's, Pretty much where I come to mm -hmm. it as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And the attacks just kind of stopped as soon as you basically put the name to the grave, I guess. As I recall, they they stopped as soon as I was on the path. Mm-hmm. As soon as I was seriously, and certainly when his name became involved, when his name was given to me. Right. But that in itself, I've never had an experience like that, where you know that a name was given to me in a dream to solve a a spirit mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. I mean, the fact that you were able to find someone by that name, I guess the only other thing, and it you know, would have been a lot harder to confirm back then than, than it would be now, maybe with different records and stuff available on the internet, is were you able to confirm that he lived in that house, or was that just you know, not possible at the time? No, he didn't live in, he did not live in that house. Hmm. Oh, but you think he was involved in whatever activities? Yes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that it was there was some sort of rough action going on that led to his death. Mm. I mean, that that's what was the intuition that was given to me, and then his name was given to me, and then the information about the reversing in dreams. I mean, I think that, you know, again, there's a Tibetan... It's a Tibetan saying and also... Uh, theosophical society, it's credited to them. When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard that. Yes, yes. Yeah, but those are, the, those are the sources I find for it. But I think in, in that case, my friends who, and, and my friend who said, don't fool around with disembodied entities, I think their guidance was critical mm-hmm. uh, in, in different ways. But that was the first in that house, but it continues. In 2009, I was still living in that house. I had bought it with a woman that I should not have trusted, I should not have bought the house with. We were boyfriend, girlfriend, but I wasn't good at reading, <laughs> reading the signs. I should never have trusted her, but I did. And we were on the outs, and I was uh, in the upstairs on the, this was a house that had been built with maids' quarters on the third floor. So I was sleeping in uh, what had been a finished floor when the house was built, and it was then my music studio and office. If you can hear those dogs, I I can't do anything about it. <laughs> That's okay. We like dogs. Can, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, crazy little dogs like that, don't you? doesn't add to the quietude of the podcast. Anyway, so I was um, sleeping on the third floor, and I woke up having an experience that was nothing short of terrifying. I felt uh, an entity forcing itself into my body, uh, my full the full length of my body. It was a sickening electric energy that was absolutely totally wrong and I, I I'm blind uh, but I've gone blind over a period of uh, well in 70 I started going blind when I was 5 and I had seen I, I could see until I was probably 50 
And what I could see was a skull that was uh, a decaying skull in the face of this entity that was pushing itself, trying to take over my body. I knew very well what was going on, that this entity wanted my body, and I was not going to give it up. Mm. And I went into intense soul battle, just like I had with my daughter, and uh, just as I had earlier in that house with the anal rape. But this was different because, boy, it... I knew that if it got it, if it got into my body, I would be in bat- a battle for my body all the time if I didn't keep it from getting in. And I was able to push it out, was able to keep it from getting in. But it did that on several occasions, on three or four occasions, that thing happened time and again. Always the same pattern. I'd wake up at night. It would be in process, and I would, by sheer spiritual will and force and aid, I must say, uh, by the aid of uh, higher consciousness, uh, my spirit guides, uh, angels, ancestors, by the help of God, it didn't happen. But I did have to battle it. And on it went. Well, I discovered my girlfriend in in duplicitous action. She was uh, running around on me, and I I learned about it. I gave a kidney in 2010 to save a woman's life in June, and I lay on my back for six months, unable to do much. I was in in really bad shape. And uh, I was able to listen to phone calls and watch patterns of one thing and another and put it together. I was, I, I got the goods on her and I called her on it and she wasn't able to deny it and she agreed to leave the house. I would pay the mortgage and, and uh, she would, of course, be in touch. I would have a year to uh, buy the house or sell it. So I went to California, came to California from Cleveland and fell in love, fell in love before before I got out here with the woman that I had met professionally and who I'd asked to pick me up at the airport to take me to my daughter's. I was going to visit my new grandson. And uh, we, we fell deeply in love and she came back to Cleveland that January in order to help me take care of my younger brother who had a severe cognitive disability and he had I had established a supportive living house for him but I was his family and his caregiver mm-hmm. his pro- not, not caregiver but his family yeah, the one that watched out for him mm-hmm. so my wife Christy moved in and she hadn't been in the house very long before she woke up screaming and I could feel this negative energy, but she could see it. Uh, She's clairvoyant, and what I only feel, she sees. And she saw an entity in prison stripes leaning over her, arms open, 
and its face was the same decaying skull that I had seen trying to take over my body. And it, I went into this whole battle and was able to, to fight it away. But that happened repeatedly over a period of a year. It, would probably, it probably happened 15 or 20 times. Wow. And uh, there were, she would see other things, other entities. Uh, she saw a, a skeleton. She saw a prairie woman in a, in a bonnet. And there was a, a specter that had been seen in that neighborhood for years called Apple Annie. And I think that's who she was seeing. I knew it because I knew uh, my neighbor talked about it. And I had a, a friend who lived there in the 60s in that neighborhood. So she saw Apple Annie and she saw uh, children and uh, many, she saw all sorts of entities. But boy, the bad ones that were trying to uh, get her were were really uh, wicked, uh, or I should say misdirected, maladapted entities that didn't belong on the earth plane and had no business, of course, uh, doing what they were doing with us. Mm -hmm. Do you think they were, they came with the house, or do you think they were in some way drawn to you? I think they came with the house. Uh, we lived across the street from the Catholic Church, and there were, it, it had been built in 1926. And I had a psychic tell me that because I am uh, who I am and express higher consciousness, um, they and there had been others in that house that had been they had been attracted to. There were spirit pathways that had gone from the church to the house over years. Mm -hmm. I think there were, uh, it was the house. And because I was there, all the more so. Right. But we had smudged the house more than once. But I, I said, you know, we, we really need to ask for uh, divine help with this. So we, we smudged the house, and as we went room to room, we, we had no animosity toward the, the beings that, were, that had been there. Uh, we just wanted them gone and, and wanted them taken into heaven to be taken care of. But it wasn't that we, we were damning them. We just wanted them out of our hair and wanted them taken care of. And so we, I, I, I prayed uh, to, to Jesus and to Sai Baba, who is a Hindu mystic I had studied. Mm -hmm. I said, I said uh, Jesus and, and Sai Baba, send your strong angels to take these entities uh, into the light. They don't belong here. And they're causing us unhappiness, and, and they're unhappy. And we don't fault them. We just want them gone. About three nights later, uh, we woke up, and there was an energy that was so strong in the room that it, my, my pattern was I, when, when Christy saw something, 
she would tap me. Or if I felt something, I would tap her. And she was tapping me, and she was making a, a sound that was, if I can uh, replicate it, ah, ah, and it was, uh, in the Bible, it was written, and the angel of the Lord came upon them, and they were sore afraid. And that was the sound she was making. She was in awe and in with, it, with the expression of, of just being in the presence of something so powerful. And what she saw were two angels standing. The rooms had nine and a half foot ceilings, and they were nine and a half feet tall. They were in shimmering garments. They were in in uh, raiments of, of robes, no wings. But she said they they were uh, androgynous. They they were neither male nor female, looking down at us with the most kindly, loving expressions. I was trying to say the Lord's prayer, and I could I could barely get words out. I mean I was forcing words out because of my practice of uh, under any circumstances ask for guidance and protection i wasn't stopping to sit to feel is this a good energy i wasn't branding it i just knew it was very powerful the most powerful energy i'd ever experienced and it, we were in the presence of the strong angels I had requested. And with that, all activity in the house stopped. It all stopped. Never had to smudge again or anything like that? <laughs> no. And in fact, about a week later, we had a similar experience, even more wattage, spiritual wattage, if that's possible. And uh, Jesus was there, smiling down on us. Look, not looking directly at us, but looking past us, as if no one could take his direct gaze. Mm. But his presence was so unbelievably powerful and uh, Great. Just, uh, I mean, there's no words to just to describe the, the experience of it. To have these very positive experiences after having so many negative ones, is there a, a sort of moment of, of reckoning or disbelief or something where we have to come to terms with like, okay, this isn't a bad thing happening this time. This is, this is good. You mean in the moment? Yes, yes. Uh, you, you certainly think there should be, but it's almost like, well, if you're standing in front of Sasquatch and you had a camera, why didn't you take a picture? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it just, it does. It didn't occur to me. I think it's the Hindus say, uh, you should die with the name of God on your lips. And so if in the presence of Jesus, I'm praying to Jesus, I guess that's okay. I mean, I don't fault myself for not being able to relax into the joy and the mystery and the awe of it. Right. It, yeah. is, it just is how I 
it's been a lifelong pattern of ask for protection and pre- and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, in any case, you know, that's that set of experiences. Now I've got a, a couple others that are really quite different. If you have time, sure. This is coming from a person with sight, you know. So this this may seem, I don't know, out of place, or I hope it's not inappropriate. But uh, nothing, nothing is inappropriate. And you often hear that people, you know, as they go blind, their other senses sort of heighten a little bit, you know, to to make up for it. I wonder if you feel like your sort of ability to acknowledge the spirit world or to sense it or whatever has increased as well as you've lost your sight. You know, does that make sense? It does make sense. I The only way I can answer that is I, I, I really don't know. I know I do know that I have always been em- empathetic, mm-hmm. and uh, my brother he was born at five years old, and I very quickly learned to tune in to him and his suffering and his need, and it helped me open up my my heart. And my uh, my consciousness, and, and with that, you know, you you open your, and of course, studying as I did as a kid, and then meditating and uh, studying different forms of spirituality. You, if you focus enough on your third eye and your crown chakra, and pray and move into that sense of seeking connection with. Uh, with the divine, I think that that sensitizes you in a way that opens you in a, in a way that's more important than the blindness is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more my spiritual nature than it is going blind. I think going blind, and I will say that and it's interesting as I talk about this, it kind of comes to me that I've always thought that I, I had to tune in to life with every antenna I had, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, you know, if I, if you come in the room and you don't say anything, I'm listening to your footfalls. I'm trying to judge your energy. I'm listening to your tone of speech when you do talk. So the answer to your question is, yeah, you may be right. You, you may be right. I hadn't put it together that way, but as I think of it, it only makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course your experience is your own, and you don't know any other way. You know, <laughs> you, you can't say how it would have been, you know, if it went another way. But uh, it, just yeah. occur- it just made me wonder. I, you know, I thought, well, if these other senses are heightened, maybe this, you know, sixth sense or whatever you want to call it is also heightened in a way. I don't know. It's, it's just a, I, a thought that occurred to me. I, I think that is quite likely so and it's also true that because I've sought a spiritual life I think that's opened uh, that aspect of my consciousness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If yeah for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we moved. My, my brother passed away in, in 2014, and uh, we've had m- many contacts with him. Uh, Christy has seen him. He's come and visited us uh, with his cowboy hat pushed <laughs> on the back of his head and big smile on his face. And and I have a a new assistant that's very sensitive, and she senses him. So it's not. Not just me. It's uh, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by by um, my wife and our, my uh, office helper that uh, are very very sensitive. But we we moved uh, after Mark's death from Cleveland, uh, high up into the Rockies, one street away from 750,000 acres of national forest on an acre of of uh, land that uh, on a steep mountain slope and it was in an area that in the 1870s had been uh, individual miners had gone there and sought their uh, sought their fortune by digging gold mines and they would dig these things called glory holes 10 feet across and 10 feet deep and if they got 10 feet down and didn't find any gold then they would move on to a different uh, piece of land. Mm-hmm. So in that house, we saw she would see different uh, beings. There was one kind of dapper fellow that would be standing going through my dresser, uh, this disembodied guy <laughs> who meant no one any harm, but uh, there he was looking at, at my stuff. And then there was a guy that came walking through the bedroom several times in, in dirty long johns and uh, one night leaned over Christy with a, a cloth and she woke up screaming thinking he was meaning to suffocate her. Well, by this time we, we were having enough of these kinds of experiences that we went to a, a very powerful mystic medium that uh, we had worked with in the past around my, my after my brother passed and uh, Christy had talked to her about her parents. And in the course of our conversation with her, learned that this guy's name was Clem, and he was, uh, he didn't mean to suffocate her, he was just showing her that had she ever gotten into a fire to put a cloth over her face with uh, water on it to, so she could breathe and stay close, close to the floor. And that this guy had uh, died when he was murdered for his mule and his cook stove um, and his mine back in the 1870s. And he 
He had been jilted in love and hadn't wanted to leave, hadn't wanted to go into the light when it was his, his opportunity. Many opportunities had come to him to go, and he didn't choose to. And eventually, uh, Spirit stopped trying, and he was uh, lonely, and he was on this land uh, with a bear that uh, also hadn't gone. And so he and his bear uh, were visitors, and we didn't see the bear, but we, we saw Clem quite a lot. And uh, she said that uh, she would put her helpers out to see if there's anyone on the other side that still knew him that hadn't reincarnated. And sure enough, his mother was there. And so she engineered, a, while we were uh, on the phone with her, a reunion between he and his mother and uh, his her angels saw to it that off they, they went. And... Uh, and he was gone. But I was left with, but wait a minute. He said there was a gold mine here. And I asked my neighbor, I said, do you know anything about there being a gold mine? And he said, yeah, there's one on the borderline between our acres. And uh, I just been filling it with trash because it was a convenient hole. But it was a hole 10 feet across and six feet down that had a a side hole going into the mountain uh, at the level that it's, it, he dug down and stopped. He must have come across a vein and started in sideways. And maybe that's what his murderers saw and uh, killed him for the his, his mule and his meager supplies and the mine. And uh, he, they went in about four feet and then stopped. So there wasn't anything apparently very valuable there. Hmm. But <laughs> that's, I just, I love that story because, you know, there was a mine on our land and we didn't even know it. Mm -hmm. And here was a, Clem was hanging around and uh, we threw our medium again when the teacher's ready to, or when the student's ready, the teacher appears, uh, told us the story, and then we confirmed it. It's interesting how many places where humans have mines or have dug into the ground for various reasons, or even that there are just legends of that, that uh, paranormal activity occurs as well. I mean, maybe it's just the fact that people are always digging into the ground. I don't know. But I certainly find so many of these places that I visit that, you know, have repeated paranormal activity also have mines associated with them or some kind of underground, you know, digging, uh, an underground cave legend, something like this. Coal mines in Pennsylvania. Coal mines, iron mines here. Uh, yeah, some, some form of uh, digging into the area. It's just a thing, it's, you know. I just uh, again and again. Yeah, it's, it's... yeah, that is interesting. Well, you, your prodigious exploration uh, would have enabled you to come across a, a cross section of human experience that would, would teach you that. That's great. Yeah, it's it's and it's very interesting. And I mean, it's led me to you know, and and I can't say I don't know, but it's led me to wonders like 
does literally digging into the ground, you know, do something? Does it stir up these energies? Does it uh, get the attention of the other? I don't, you know, I don't know what it does, but it certainly um, seems to occur again and again where, where people have, you know, made mines or dug into the ground for something. Yes. Well, I have one last story. Sure. This really takes us on a, a journey in into uh, a world that I never would have guessed existed, but again, for our very powerful uh, medium who has given us so much rich experience. While we were living in that A-frame in, in uh, on the mountain in Colorado, we saw an ad uh, for a free grandfather clock. And I'd always wanted a grandfather clock. So we called and boy, this guy couldn't get rid of it fast enough. He, I mean, I, it was Christmas time. I was playing a, a show and I was preparing for it. And I said, could we come the day in two days now after the show is passed? Is that the soonest you can get here? Yes. Well, if there isn't another call, I'll keep it for you. So he did. And we got this wonderful old clock. There's no date on it, but it's it's just magical. It's wonderful and, and very old. And uh, as we took it home, you could hear the chimes softly uh, making uh, music in the back of the of our uh, SUV. Carried it in, and about two days after the clock was in the house, I'm just at the verge of sleep, and bam! I get punched in the face hard. I mean, uh, just an impact to the face that, that called, caused me to shout out and, and come into full consciousness. And Christy says, well, what, what was that? I said, I have no idea, but I got hit in the face. Well, that happened again every, every few nights. And I was in my studio, and all of a sudden, a box of harmonicas came flying off the shelf, landed in the middle of the room, and another night, I woke up standing at the bathroom door, and this was a, an A-frame, so double A-frame, but I, our bedroom was in the same A-frame as the bathroom, and Christy could, woke up and could see me in bed next to her and at the bathroom door. And I could, I woke up, I was standing in the bathroom door, I thought, what in the world am I doing here? And then I was back in bed, like, instantly. And that happened a couple of times at another point in the house at the front door. And, and but this getting slugged in the face was getting old. <laughs> I can was, imagine, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, once it felt like a concrete block to the forehead, Another, it'd be a punch in the eye, a punch in the mouth. And so we called Deanna, and she said, you know, what you do when you contact her is you ask three questions. And, and then she meditates and prays and goes to work on it. And she came back and she said, when she had her consultation with us, have you brought something old into the house recently? And we said, yes, we have this grandfather clock. And she said, okay. Well, she said, there was a monk 
at a monastery in Switzerland 500 years ago, and he died in motion. That's all she knew. Maybe he fell out of a second-story window, or uh, who knows. But he died in motion and was resistant to going into the light and didn't want to go, so he didn't. And he became affixed to uh, a man who uh, owned the grandfather clock. And when the man died, he affixed himself to the grandfather clock because it, it belonged to the man and he didn't know what to do. And in the course of time, a parasite, and I just read heard about this in a podcast, the, the parasites come from other dimensions. They don't belong here. This is what Deanna told us. That uh, she and Christie saw it about three foot high, in a in a gray cloak, without a face, just a, a black area where the face should be. And what had happened was I had in my astral body seen that this monk had this parasite keeping it from moving on. So I grabbed the parasite and the monk was able to escape. And she told me that he prays for me every day in heaven, thanking me for freeing him. But the parasite then was attached to me and not, and not happy. I, I <laughs> might, <laughs> might mention not happy at all. That uh, you know his his friend the monk, uh, or not friend, but his captive uh, entity the monk was gone, and so he was taking it out on me. So she was able to send her her guides to capture the parasite and take it back to the dimension from which it came, and she said. I'm not sure that I can, um, that this is a permanent solution, but it's all I can do. It's all I'm, all my powers are able to accomplish. So when we moved here, we came here in 2017, here being uh, Southern California. We live five miles from Mexico, two miles from the ocean. And we moved here because I wasn't getting good pain management care in Colorado. So we came here to get, uh, be closer to uh, major medical centers and so forth. So it started again. And the, what I heard recently on a pod, this podcast is that parasites will attach themselves to people who are in pain, which is me, or people who uh, are addicts or take a lot of pain medication. I take a lot of pain medication. I'm not addicted to it in the least, but I, I take I take it for my comfort. Mm-hmm. But but um, the fact that my body is depleted and I'm in a, a lower can be in a lowered state of energy, I think, puts me in the class that, that this parasite. Uh, I didn't attract it, but why it's able to victimize me. Mm-hmm. And what she what she said was, before we go to bed to uh, play music, harmonic 
music, and I have some wonderful Native American flutes that I play, uh, two and three barrel flutes, and uh, to pray a, a clear intention, asking heaven for help, for protection. And since I've begun to do that, there's been no more getting getting slugged. Mm-hmm. So I think the, 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 and that's the, the end of the story, but it, I think it does suggest a preventative prayer. Yes. And the, the use of prayer to avoid the, the being subject to the uh, slings and arrows of outrageous disembodied entities, yes. especially the little parasites that have no reason to be here at all. Yeah, I was going to ask if you continued the sort of nightly prayer and, and music. Uh, yes. Yeah, I would as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it uh, it's a good practice anyway. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's not going to... It's not going to hurt to do at all, you know. It's only going to put you in a in a more positive state in general. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, I, I think it also has opened my dreams. Um, I'm I always have had very strong dream life, but um, since I've been doing that, my dreams are very positive and very connected. That seems logical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's been a it's been a real thrill to put this all together and to prepare to talk to you. I hope that you think what I've said has been coherent. Oh yeah, yeah, Jeff. Thank you for sharing your stories. You're welcome. It's uh, well, I'll I'll kind of close with the notion that uh, when we die, what is supposed to happen is our our spirit, our soul is supposed to move on and staying here you know why when you know people who know ghosts know they will either hang around buildings that meant something to them or that had they died in a building that was like an institution uh state mental hospitals of course are known for their their hauntings. Sure, yeah. Or they die because of something unresolved, like Clem, you know, an unresolved love affair. Mm-hmm. And uh, the poor guy just wasn't able to leave because he he was attached to the earth plane by matters of the heart. But we are supposed to leave. We're not supposed to stay. And it doesn't mean... Another idea is that uh, my understanding is, and my experience is, that uh, when we seek the attention of one that's moved on to the other side, uh, when you're on the other side, you're omniscient. You can be many places at once, and you're conscious of people's prayer, of their desire to uh, connect with you. So um, it's not that we don't, we can't have positive connection with those who've passed on, but we shouldn't, when someone dies, not release them. You know, Dad, don't go. I can't live without you. 
you know that's that's not healthy right. for you or the or the entity um, but certainly beings that stay here don't belong here they they really should move on and there are numerous elements in the stories I've talked to you about tonight that are about that very thing uh, but it's and my brother you know my brother's presence coming to us and uh, my secretary was saw something on uh, a video that was on my computer that uh, was of him and then she felt him because he he was aware of the fact that we were focused on him so it, it's, it's quite mystical how it works, but there's nothing wrong with contact or with people who've gone on. Mm-hmm. But it's, the, the point is they've gone on. Yes. It's expressed uh, kind of beautifully, and there's a few folk songs, traditional folk songs, where uh, either a mother is mourning her children or maybe a lover is mourning his or her lover, and I, it's very beautifully expressed, and they say that uh, your tears fall down and they wet my winding sheet, basically they're saying. So basically they're mm. saying, you, you will not let me go. You will not let me pass. Mm. I always thought it was just a beautiful sentiment, like, you know, you, you have to stop mourning at some point and let me go. Boy, I am getting chills over that. Whew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very powerful. Yes. Traditional folk songs are just... They're just uh, full of uh, just wonderful turns of phrases and, and knowledge. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm a folk singer by background as well, although I began songwriting early and uh, really playing pretty much my own stuff, got away from playing the traditional. I'd love to hear your your renditions. I don't know if those are your songs you're playing or traditional songs, but you have a, you have a great uh, touch. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That means the world to me. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, once again, thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you, Timothy. And it was a pleasure. And uh, carry on. I read an article today about pandemic puppies, which I think is a wonderful thing. But if you have a pandemic puppy or a puppy at all, and you're looking to raise the perfect puppy for you, you want 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. We're talking with Tina once again from 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. Tina, how can you help people raise the perfect puppy? We begin with the end in mind. We think about what our life looks like moving not just from today, but into the future, and then really work to set that puppy on a path to create a relationship where you and that dog are Snoopy and Charlie Brown, that you're like the perfect pair of jeans that are well-worn and you know each other beautifully. So it may not be that you're the perfect owner or that your puppy is the perfect dog, but our goal is to just make that as beautiful a match as we possibly can so that you have a best friend. 
And what are the resources that your clients have online? So there's a video library that's available on demand. Additionally, we load people into the super secret 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy Facebook group where they get access to a whole community where they can post photos and videos and they can ask questions and myself and other members of the group will interact with them. That's sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link. Thank you, Tina. I want to take this time to thank our patrons. Without our patrons, we could not make Strange Familiars. Thank you so much, patrons, for all of your support through these uncertain times. As I've said before, your support means the world during normal times. During these times, it means even more. There's no way we could do the show without your help. So thank you once again. If you enjoy our content, if you like Strange Familiars, and you want to help us continue to make the show, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. For $3 a month, you get full extra episodes of Strange Familiars. We already did two in April so far. We did two, in, I think, in the first week of April. We did two patron shows. Was that because you didn't really know what day of the week it was? <laughs> <laughs> you were worried time was running out? <laughs> yeah, I really... Uh, it, it's just they've been coming fast and furious. Yeah, but no, it's just the way it shakes out. We try to do a lot of content for our patrons some months. We can only do one episode. Some months we can do more. This happens to be one of those months where we could do more. But we do guarantee one full extra episode of Strange Familiars for our patrons every month. As well as access to all the episodes we've done in the past. Absolutely. There's over 50 now. So as soon as you sign up to become a patron, you get all of those episodes right away and any other episodes going forward as long as you remain a patron. There are all different levels of support at Patreon. You can check them out, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon and you still want to help, you can go to strangefamiliars.com, look in the show notes under every episode. You'll find a paypal.me link where you can make a one-time donation. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media, by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whatever podcatcher you use, and by leaving us those nice five-star reviews, which helps get the show in front of new potential listeners. So before we do the photo of the week Mm -hmm. for this episode, I want to thank Brian M. and Eric C. for their PayPal donations. Thank you very much. It's a huge help. And we move on to photo of the week, which is a nice little photo postcard of... A random pretty girl. (laughs) (laughs) I know you like to stay on theme, and we had the apport of the, the rose in this episode, so we picked a nice pretty woman... With some flowers. Those aren't roses, and I can never remember what those are, but I believe they, there might be some roses along her, her shoulder right there. So. Well, in any case. Flowers. Yes. A garden. <laughs> <laughs> a veritable garden. A garden. Do you uh, have a guess as to what year this is? I'd say it's probably 20s or so. It's like kind of that flapper era. Of... Mm-hmm. And what are we going to ask for this flowery lady? Lucky 13 $13. For a, I guess in the postcard world, this would be followed under the pretty ladies section. Yes. <laughs> there are very specific categories you know, in the, postcard, in the world. postcard world. I've never come upon an ugly ladies section. I have seen some ladies in the pretty ladies section, however, that maybe you should have been filed somewhere else. 
Or just under women. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but this lady, she's got pearls and flowers, and she's much fancier than anyone that I've seen any time recently. She's quite fancy. Mm-hmm. She has not been in sequester long. <laughs> she has not. <laughs> she's probably just gotten out of the 1918 flu, and she's ready to party all through the 20s. Oh, I think that's... There you go. Hence the slight greenish tinge. <laughs> <laughs> So if you go to strangefamiliars.com and look in the show notes under this episode, you can see the photograph. You can click on it. It should take you right to our Etsy shop where you can purchase it if you want. $13 for the pretty lady with the flowers. Make sure to check out our photo of the week section. Most of them have sold, but we still do have some of the past photos of the week. You can still purchase them. It helps Strange Familiars, and it gives you a cool photo collecting hobby to start as well. (laughs) Chad bought last week's photo of the week. Oh, great. I would have given it to him. <laughs> For all of his help. He, he saw guys with axes in the woods, and, and he had to have it. So. <laughs> Gotta get everybody hooked. All right, everybody. We should be back Thursday with the regular Thursday episode of Strange Familiars. Hope everybody's doing well. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And we will be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcast, and more, darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can also join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group, and we are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.